Welcome to the Jig Is Up, and uh, joining me as always is Jason. Hey, buddy, how's it going? Good. How's the greatest beard in Calgary? Ah, <laughs> uh, not too bad. Not too bad. How's things in Whitecourt these days? Warming up a little bit? Oh, it's crazy. The snow is melting like mad. Oh yeah, yeah. It's uh, I would say it's probably about half gone here. So that's pretty yeah. good over a week's time or week and a half. Yeah, it is good. It gives you the spring fever. Oh, man, I'm so looking forward to it. I'm seeing grass now in my backyard. I'm so excited. Nice. <laughs> so we got a lot to talk about. Uh, a lot of stuff has happened in the last uh, week. We, we usually go every two weeks, but, uh, man, it seems like everything's moving so fast. we got to do it once a week now. Oh, it's hard to keep up. Um, so I wanted to we we, we want to start off with just talking about a meeting that I went to, uh, which was a Métis Nation of Alberta Association um, meeting where they were talking about, of course, the new budget that came out and all the big numbers that they they have all this money they're just going to be greasing greasing everybody's palm with. Um, but it was really a meeting to talk about some of the climate change things that they're doing and stuff like that. But it was interesting. Um, I mean, there's a lot of big numbers. We we talked about the lab budget last week, so it wasn't really a big surprise to me. What I do, what I knew they were going to do though, is they're they're throwing around these big numbers as though they're getting 516 million dollars check over the next five years, um, which we all know is not true. We talked about that last week, right? Mm-hmm. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. So, so that wasn't really the uh, the interesting part. But there was a few key things though that I, I got out of that one of them uh I had talked about uh on a podcast I think you were I don't know where you were you weren't on the podcast but I was ranting solo that day and I had talked about how region one there seems to be a lot of upheaval in region one and for those who don't know Alberta's Métis Nation boundaries that is the north eastern part of the province that covers uh like Conklin, Laclabish, uh Fort Mackay, Fort Chip, Fort McMurray, and whatever other communities are in that area. And uh, so there's a lot of upheaval, a lot of dissatisfaction. People from Region 1 are saying they're going to break off from the MA and talk to the government on their own. And the MA is saying, no, you're not. And, and so this came up in the meeting, and the response from uh, <laughs> Madam President, as we were supposed to address her at the meeting, was that they were that she was trying to calm everybody down and she told them that just don't worry because if, if it push comes to shove, she herself will just come in there and shut down the regional board and shut them all out and make sure and, and clean them all out, basically. And uh, that was an interesting approach to how to govern things. What, do you, what, do you, what was your take on that, Jason? Well, the sad thing is about that is that would not be the first time they did that. That's exactly what they did in Grand Prairie. Yeah, and Medicine it's, Hat, because they actually and told Medicine us that. Hat, yeah. 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 And so, I mean, I don't even know how, what do you do with that, right? So it's like, you're unhappy, you're disgruntled, and you want to change. And the answer to that change from leadership is that we'll just, you know, block you all out. We'll freeze you out of this. Yeah. Well, well, that's real inclusive of the community, isn't it? Well, and it says a lot about their so-called democracy. Um, how how do you have a democracy when any dissenting voice is shut down and locked out? <laughs> yeah. For, the, for Madam President to walk in and intervene and say, no, sorry, you guys are just shut down, be gone with you all now. 
and the people that like us and support us, now you are the ones in charge of the region, and away we go. Like, that yeah. that's pretty shady, if you ask me, from any standpoint of of a government. Well, and for, for an organization that claims to be duly elected and have open and trans, transparency, we see this even right, it boils right down even to how they do their membership, that you can't hold uh, dual membership in any two Métis organizations if you're part of the cartel at any level, which really is, uh, I, I find, almost unconstitutional because you have the law, uh, supposed to have the freedom of association. Supposed to, yeah. Yeah. No, and, absolutely. And here, and here again, you have a community with some some dissenting voice, and instead of sitting in the circle and hearing everyone's opinion and trying to find reconciliation and build bridges, again, it's the threats, right? Either you toe the line or we shut you out. Exactly. And I mean, you know, it was just, uh, and, and to be so open about it, to be so open about the fact they did it in Medicine Hat and Grand Perry, and to use those as examples, and then to be met with cheering and applause. Like, I wasn't sure why people were applauding that, because what do they think is going to happen in a couple of years when the MNA doesn't like what they're saying now? They're going to come in and shut you down and start with another group of people. Like, it's uh, absolutely ridiculous. Um. One of the other things that they, I noticed they were doing too is um, obviously we've talked about the housing uh, crisis up in, in Conklin and some of those communities up there. And what was interesting is, is that they made huge promises to Conklin and to the surrounding communities that those communities will not be left behind. And in fact, they're promising to deal with all of the housing issues, all the education issues, all of this stuff they promise is going to get dealt with now because they got so much money flowing in from the federal government. Uh, and I'd be curious to know if I went to a, one of these same meetings in, say, Calgary, if they were promising the Calgary region the same promises. And if I went to you know, the Edmonton region, are they going to promise those, make those same promises to the Edmonton region? Seems like uh, seems like you're spreading the money a little thin then at that point. Well, and I think that's the whole problem. But I also think that's why um, the MA is on a huge membership drive and talking a lot about membership is because they know that the money allocated is going to be based on numbers. Um, yes. But you and I both know that if they, the money that's allocated to go to housing isn't enough, that there is no way that we are going to fix Métis housing problems with that government money. There's just no way. No, exactly. I mean, over the next uh, five years, you might be able to um, help in Conklin. So if you just take the, the, the hamlet of Conklin, you might be able to make an impact there. But that you're, you're not going to put any money anywhere else then. Um, and what was really surprising is they were very open about how that money is going to be handled. And everybody seemed very excited at the idea that all of the money was going to go pouring into the Edmonton bank account, into the MA. And it will be up to the MA leadership uh, to determine how that money is used and which communities get it. So it's not based on community input, it's not based on um, all of the regions getting together and discussing things. It's going to be based on what less than five people probably in Edmonton to determine where all these millions of magic dollars go. And I was yeah. shocked that people were okay with that. 
Yeah, and uh, it, it really is mind-blowing. I have a hard time wrapping my head around that. You and I both know that when you can't hardly get a high, a tiny home uh, that's suitable for a person and then try to put it someplace, I don't know where, but you're you're looking at, at you know tens of thousands of dollars, if not more, per person to get them out of a black mold-infested shanty. <laughs> so exactly how many people on the grassroots level are going to be pulled out of the despair they're in with this money. Absolutely. And then, and then like you said, it's going into a central bank account to be dictated over by a very few board members. And so who, who decides what community is in need most, what person is in need most. And, and this boils over to either the scholarship funds and all the rest of the educational money. You know, it all sounds great and it's all big numbers, but when you divide it up by, you know, I mean, even just the 30,000 Métis members, that doesn't bloody go very far. No. Well, and if they're already playing favorites, like, oh, you guys support us and these guys don't, so we're going to walk in and shut these guys down. Well, how how much do you think that's going to play into who gets money? Well, we don't like Joe over there in his group, so suddenly Joe and his group don't get much money, if any at all. But over here, you know, we like Susie and her group, they're great, and they're really supportive, so we're going to give them more money. I I just know that that's going to play a huge role in where this money goes. Is Well, and a lot of it, too, is, is about low-hanging fruit. So there might be some really easy things that you pick off. They already have a housing fund in Edmonton and a pretty big complex there. That's easy to pump money into and, and bring that up to par. So that the housing they already have is is then brought back up to where they'd like it to see, and so that's an easy win to say, oh look what we did for urban housing, yeah. And so you might you might not see it because the rural housing issue is the most expensive. Absolutely, you know, it's not just about a house to to live in that's fit for for people. You also have a have to have a place to put it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, whereas they already have a lot of resources in uh, Edmonton specifically. So it would be very interesting to see at the end of the day, uh, again, how many Métis people actually benefit uh, yeah. from that housing money. You know, and then that rolls over to every portfolio, like we talked about, like in the Blast podcast. And it just boggles my mind that you can go to these meetings and either people simply don't understand how these organizations work and how this money is going to work or what. Or they're just happy to hand over the reins to our future and walk away and hope it works out in the end. Yeah, absolutely. Um, see, a couple other little points. One of the uh, promises, because they are doing a membership drive, like you'd mentioned, and one of the things that I noticed they were promising was uh, how much quicker and easier the process is going to be now. Suddenly, the process doesn't take very long at all. In fact, it's super easy, according to Madam President of the Métis Nation of Alberta. She said that... Uh, Essentially, as long as you have a family member that's an MA member, boom, you're done. You're that's it. That's all you got to do is have that family member, boom, you're in. Doesn't matter what your paperwork is. So, uh, if you got a sister that's in the MA, boom, you can get your card right now. Um, and they're they're going hardcore around the province with their and like she's promising to send registries people to any community that wants them to come up. Uh, and they'll do a membership drive right there. You can fill out the forms right in front of them, uh, and turn them right into the right into the head office, right on spot. And I thought that was pretty interesting how quick they are suddenly doing a membership drive. 
like you said, with all this big government money coming. Yeah. Because you, you know right well that there's so many dollars that are allocated from AT people, and that's going to be handed out to the organizations depending on the amount of membership that they have. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, yeah, a huge membership drive. But I thought it was interesting how quick they are. Suddenly now it's, you know, we're back to just give the cards out and get them, get them out there. Um, you know, as long, as long as you can tie to a cousin even. No, I'm sure that's good. That's fine. Uh, yeah. As, as long as the money flows into the big coffers in, in uh, the central power hall, you know, they, they don't care about what actually happens to that piece of plastic at the end of the day. It really just helped them, you know, pad the wallet. Yeah. And, and they had people in that in commun in the community that was there that, uh, they've been trying for years to get their Métis Nation card and been denied, 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 rejected. The membership forms never made it there, blah, blah, blah. Well, and suddenly now they're being promised from Madam President that, hey, no, no, you just hand it in. We're, we're, we're good. We'll get it to you right away. <laughs> Interesting yeah. uh, coincidental timing, I think, right? Yeah, no doubt. It's, it, it sure uh, smells a little bit funny. <laughs> uh, maybe we're just maybe we just got our tinfoil hats on and we're just too conspiracy theory. Huh? I'm sure everything is on the up and up. Oh, it is always on the up and up, my friend. Oh, and... Uh, the last thing I wanted to point out, because there was a lot there, but I, I think the last thing I wanted to point out, which I thought was interesting, is the the one member, the one guy who works for the MNA. I don't remember his role. He was, on, there were seven of them. He, uh, somebody asked about if they could get their card. You know, they had a great grandfather who was Blackfoot and blah, blah, blah. And he's lived in the Métis or in the Conklin community for, I don't know, I think he said 15 or 20 years or something. Um, so he was wondering about that. And they said, oh, no, absolutely not. Um, because you're black, it's Blackfoot blood, and I, I was like, "What?" <laughs> so I kind of perked up when he said that. And he went on to explain that if you're as long, if you have Blackfoot blood, you cannot be Métis. Uh, you can be part Blackfoot, or you can be a mixed blood, you know, or, or non-status. But if you have Blackfoot blood, no Métis, you're out, done. And I just thought that was really weird. I mean, I I'd never heard that before. I didn't know they had that standard, so that was new to me. Well, I, I've kind of heard that before, and it always makes me chuckle because one of, uh, if you read any literature, and probably one of the few times you'll ever hear uh, Métis specific in Alberta talked about is, is with uh, Jerry Potts. Yes. And as everybody knows, he was the uh, interpreter and even helped uh, get some treaties signed down in your neck of the woods. And yes. he was married into the Blackfoot Nation and was part Blackfoot himself, if I'm not mistaken. So, um, I guess he's just, uh, I guess the government's wrong and, and uh, we should rewrite a few more history books to accommodate the uh, Métis Nation's definition of who is and who's not Métis. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. Um, and and I, guess, I guess we're going on quite a ways here, but the last thing I wanted to say was they did talk about harvesting rights and south of Red Deer, there's going to be no harvesting rights whatsoever. Um, the way it is right now, the way they're negotiating... And north of Red Deer, there's going to be the standard, uh, you know, if you can prove you're from a, a historic Alberta Métis community, you can get 160-kilometer radius and yeah. a harvester's card. So not everybody gets it, though. The communities have to designate who's a harvester and who's not. And uh, so it's kind of pick and choose who do you like and who do you don't like. But I thought that was interesting that, you know, essentially Métis south of Red Deer are screwed. Nothing for you. 
Well, in Let's Face Facts, that's pretty much Blackfoot territory, and there's no Métis people that live down there. Right? Uh, that's right. Yeah. I should, <laughs> what was I thinking? <laughs> yeah, what were you thinking? <laughs> okay, so that was the M&A meeting that I went to. Uh, I, I was asked to go, and it was very eye-opening, very interesting, and I'm glad I went. So, and And I thought it was very interesting how we had to use titles like Madam President and things like that as though, you know... She's running some massive country. But, uh, yeah, very interesting. Uh, Let's not do that at anything we do, right? No, absolutely not. It was a very colonial, very, very colonial thinking. Uh, So from that, um, we want to get into kind of, I guess, the the big thing that's going on right now, which is this uh, musician out on the East Coast that was denied nominations to East Coast Indigenous Music Award because they determined, based on I don't know what, that, uh, well, I do, but it's really shady, uh, that he wasn't Indigenous, so he doesn't get to be part of that. Um, and I'm sure you've seen the news about it and and the Twitter storm and the Facebook storms and the ID identity battles that are continuing and just raging rampant again. Um, oh yes, the endless gloating. Oh yeah, absolutely. It's a huge win for Western Métis, and the thing that I, you know, it strikes me about this, and I want to go back to why the organization said they denied him. They said that his Métis organization that he's part of is not recognized by law, so therefore, he's out. And so this isn't a matter of oh, you know, he's he's a fake Métis or he's a fake Indigenous person. Um, From what I understand and from what I've seen, um, and I don't know him personally and I don't know his genealogy, I've never seen it personally, but I'm trusting a a few people that I know. He actually does descend from Indigenous blood. He has Indigenous blood in him. He's a mixed-blood Acadian, which would make him an Acadian Métis, like myself. And it was just interesting that you have to prove yourself in a court of law to get a music award. So I guess you got to prove your Pauli criteria now to you have to prove you have well, section yeah. 35 rights in order to get a music award. Well, here's the problem though is they said he didn't belong to a government recognized organization. Yes. And therefore because he wasn't part of a government recognized organization they couldn't validate his membership as authentic. Yes. Yeah. And so that they really strikes a real chord then saying then the only people who are truly indigenous in this country uh, are the ones the government says are indigenous. Yes. And therefore, it doesn't matter who you are or where you come from until the government says you're indigenous, you're not. And I think that's the real undertone that I took away from that is that is a very uh, scary place that we would find ourselves in, if in especially as something is what I would consider benign is, is a music award for crying out loud, um, where that's the criteria. Absolutely, and and I I think um, what was really disappointing for me is how quickly um, prominent indigenous, um, I guess, social or activist leaders and things like that we're so quick to jump on the bandwagon saying, oh, you know, white people trying to steal our identity. Um, this this organization that did these awards, from what I understand, never asked him for his genealogy. They never actually asked him to prove it. 
They just simply looked at his the group he was associated with and said, oh, they're not proven. Yeah. They're not recognized by law. So it was really disappointing for me to see people like um, Dr. Pam Palmater saying, oh, these white people trying to steal our identity, you know, and, and saying there's no Métis in the East. When her own father identified as Métis in, like, 1975. Yeah. Um, so it was... This is where I'm, I'm, I think for me, this is where the real crux of this problem is, is that these people that are convincing everybody that Métis identity stems from the law, and, and they're happy about that, I, that's the part I don't get, but they're convincing people that this is the way to prove Métis identity. So, and even, you know, even to be up for an award, you have to prove you have Section 35 uh, rights. Well, so do... Or, or you have to belong to a government recognized organization. Yes. So that means the only organization in Canada that you can be uh, be recognized as Métis is, is the Métis National Council and Affiliates. And people might not have a problem with that, but that only shows their ignorance is I know people who live in what was a, a Métis um, settlement that aren't, uh, that don't right now have a current card in the cartel. Therefore, ergo, if they were nominated as well for a music award, they wouldn't be considered Métis. Yes. Well, and yet they live they live in what was. I mean, here's here's the ridiculous number. The, the community of Marlborough used to be a Métis community settlement was a settlement, and then they changed the law and they they turned it into a not settlement and reverted the land back to grant government and free title. And so the people there lost everything as far as their settlement went. And so, you know, now because they can't even meet the Pali as far as the historical Métis community, they don't have Section 35 rights there. Some of them aren't even MA members, so they're not now recognized as authentically Métis. Yeah, so now they're not Indigenous. And and that's, that is the problem here, is you're, you're completely erasing people's indig- indigeneity. And... For people like Dr. Pam Palmater, who I, I used to really have a lot of respect for, this is a really sad statement on how you you talk about decolonizing, you talk about taking back your control of your own people and taking back your identity. Well, it was uh, 1755 when they committed the mass act of genocide against Acadian people and drove them out of there and left them to die, get murdered, or, or die on a ship. And those that survived, their descendants now are being denied Métis, you know, Métis identity, being denied their indigenous identity. How is that decolonizing? How is proving it in a court of law, Canadian law, decolonizing? So everything that these people say, kind of hypocritical now. Because it seems like it's only yeah. for your people, not for everybody's people. Well, so, and what I find what I find about this whole discussion is that it's very myopic, and that people have jumped on this east-west bandwagon when they don't really even understand how Western Métis politics works because they don't live here. So, someone like Pam out east there has no idea when they're talking about this rhetoric of Western Métis nationalistic identity how that actually works on the ground here in the West. They're not in local communities where Métis people live here in the West, and they don't understand the marginalization these organizations are causing 
right here in what they call their own homeland. Absolutely. Absolutely. And and so it's a misinformed thing to say, oh, there's no Métis in the, the East. That's This isn't an East-West issue. This is this is a shifting definition issue of who's Métis and who's not, and the exclusionary practices of the MNC to, to, to control that narrative. Yeah. And so to buy into the politics of the East-West is really to get, you know, totally sidetracked and totally deluded into to what is really going on on the ground in local communities. Absolutely. And, and you know, we, you've talked about this before where, you know, this seems to be that the mentality is that there's a pie. And, you know, so if, if we recognize Eastern Métis, uh, then we have to give up a little piece of the pie that we have. And that seems to be, that is very clear to me that that is the thinking in, in almost all of this, is that they don't want to acknowledge Eastern Métis because then that would mean they get a smaller chunk of the pie, which is ridiculous thinking. You've mentioned that before many times. Yeah. And and that's, it, yeah, I couldn't help but think of that. There, every time I read a story about this, I'm, all I could picture was a pie and everybody getting all ramped up about the one last piece that's left. <laughs> so. So I guess thank you for that uh, visual there, Jason. But uh, but that's what <laughs> well, I was thinking. I, yeah, because you know? it is, and we we forget that that Ottawa and the federal government, the Canadian government, is not didn't is not just one pie. It's a bakery. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, there, there's as many pies as they want to legislate, as they want to allocate. That's as many pies as there's going to be. There's not just this one pie. We're all fighting for what we perceive as our piece of it. And, and again, it's exactly like the meeting you go to, right? They're, they're trying to get membership numbers up. They're trying to rally the troops. Why? Because the size of the piece of the pie they're going to get is dependent on the, the amount of people that they service. Yeah. Well, yeah. how myopic is it? There's We need to sort out. There's 114,000 Métis people who claim Métis identity. Why don't we sort that out? Yeah, because then we could create an organization that didn't re- recognize thirty thousand. It might be sixty thousand. Yeah, there might be forty thousand that are a bunch of frauds. We might have double the number of people who are authentically Métis in this province, and half of them now are going without representation. Exactly. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, th- this whole thing just is really not. Uh, I, I, I mean, there's so many. You know, you can just keep digging in this and keep finding problems. I mean. Um, you know, I understand that people don't want to give up land and they don't want to give up territory and, you know, we're limited and we got to fight the government. But the truth is, is there was organizations on the East Coast years and for, for decades um, and it was Métis and non-status that were working together. Everybody was cool with that. But as soon as that constitution came in and a certain group was formed right afterwards and started splitting away from all of the... All of the the groups that were together, now suddenly we have all these identity issues and these problems. Um, and, it, it, you know, that's really when that pie mentality started was, no, no, we want the funding for us, not you. And so we're going to fight you now because we want more funding. And that's what the government has created is this, like, it's like a welfare state for Métis organizations to just simply beg and plead for more money but fight each other to get that money. It's just sad. It's really quite sad. Well, and I think, I mean, for those who are on social media and uh, follow Christy Belcourt, I think she she properly addressed some of that issue of taking government money. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what happens the minute you cash that government check? 
And, uh, you know, for those who didn't know, I'm not going to repeat everything she said because it was a lengthy post, but I encourage you to go check out uh, Christy's post on that. Yeah, absolutely. Because it's very insightful for someone whose dad helped start the MNO, who's been very prominent in all things Métis, to talk about how things only ever go bad when our leadership and our organizations begin to take money uh, from the federal government. Yeah, because she, 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 and I've read this before in a, in another book about the history of uh, Métis politics in Alberta, but she talked about how, you know, it was Maria Campbell that was there. It was, I think she was the treasurer when they first got the first government check ever of $30,000, and they shared an office with a non-status group, and they both got $30,000 each. And people told Maria, don't cash it, because if you do, that's going to be the downfall. So she didn't, and then she, they kicked her out so that they could cash the check. And look where we are today. It's almost like they could see the future. <laughs> well, what was funny is even in that time, in the very next year, those two two representative organizations weren't even sharing the same office now because they could afford their own space. Yeah, like as soon as they could, the boom, now we got money. We're going to split, take off, and not work together. And, and now we're sitting here today where First Nations and Métis don't really work together. Uh, we have these issues of east versus west, north versus south, and who's Métis and who's not. And and it's it really boils down to this fighting over that piece of pie. And that's what it Well, it really shows that, that money, government money, to any Indigenous organization does not bring us closer together. It is only used as a tool to split us apart. Absolutely. Absolutely, especially when it's not done equally, and when you're when you're denying one group but giving lots to the other group, and I mean that just creates a division. I don't care where you put the division. If you did that to any group and anywhere in the country, you're creating a division because one group's getting, you know, you're cr- purposely creating one group to be mad at the other group for getting more, and and that, that's essentially what the government's done, and they've done it for years. Well, then we can see that that's about to continue to get worse as which communities will get this government funding, which won't. We've already seen that. We already have a, a north-south split here in Alberta by there's no nobody you know south of Red Deer, like you said, is going to be able to be eligible for harvesting rights. So if you're 18, you want any shot of harvesting rights, you better get ready to move. Yep. You know, so, I mean, we have already this government money and this government legislation that continues to split Métis, even provincially, yes. one community against the next. Absolutely. And, you know, that, and the, I don't know, it just, it's really terrible to see, um, like, I, I get it. I get the, the desire to see people who fake their identity, like the Joseph Boydens out there. You know what? Yeah, absolutely. Those people need to be called out. Um, those people need to be held to account for that. And there are people like that. There's people that are trying to usurp Métis identity. In every province, I guarantee you there's somebody with an MNA card that shouldn't have it. I guarantee you, because they gamed the system somehow. Uh, whether it's an outdated card, it doesn't matter. They have one. Um, from what I've heard from stories of a few years back, they would hand out cards to pretty much anybody that walked in a room and said, yeah, I'll take one. So there is these people out there that are going to try to do that. There's con con men and women everywhere. But that doesn't negate an entire portion of the country's identity because a handful of people are con artists. Like, um, you know, I was watching, somebody sent me, I don't usually read certain academic who's a a white settler identity. Um, I don't read his stuff much because it's 
in my opinion, it's absolute garbage. And he's not an me. He doesn't identify as Métis, so why would I listen to him about Métis identity? But somebody sent me his stuff and and, and was talking about I don't know white some white nationalist that started a Métis group to try to I don't know what he was doing try to take some indigenous benefits or something, and that's his reasoning why all Métis on the east are frauds. It's like really, dude, that's your whole research, really, like and. So, I, I mean, I get that we've got to get rid of the frauds, but at the same time, we can't negate an entire portion of the country just because there's some, some guys, some people out there wanting to fraud people out for their identity. But that's the, that is the status quo of today. I mean, the, this yeah. organization has, is, is marginalized, um, an organization of marginalization at best. Even in our own province, we're marginalizing who is and who isn't eligible. Yes. Just based on geography. Yes. And so you look at that nationally, right? We, we just have this right across this board where this organization is continually pitting Métis people against each other for their own benefit. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you see it even within the own their own organizations of member card-carrying members. These members want to speak out and say, no, we don't agree with your decisions on these things. These members support them because guess who benefits? Usually the people that benefit like the ed decisions and those that don't benefit don't like them. And so there's those divisions even within the groups. Um, so, you know, that's that's the crux of all this is there's just division everywhere. It's, it's like yeah. Oprah giving away a car. You get some animosity. You get animosity. Everybody's fighting. Woohoo! And that's the real problem with this, the government money. It's not that the money's bad in and of itself, but when you have top-down leadership like this and there's no inclusive, you know, bridge building, you know, we, what do you got? You got division. That's all you're left with. Absolutely. Absolutely. But, you know, Madam President, she'll come in and shut it all down anyway. Just do what she wants, what she thinks is right. Woohoo! <laughs> That's good. And when there's no more regions left, then she can just dictate from her white ivory tower off. But everything happens to everybody. Absolutely, yeah. No, that sounds like a great plan. Great way to govern. Well, look at how streamlined the organization would be. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it'll be really easy when you're the only one that can make a decision. Absolutely. Um, so I don't know if there's anything else you wanted to talk about with this East Coast uh, artist. Um, I know it sure kicked up a, a fury of Métis identity stuff again. But I'm happy to report I blocked quite a few people on Facebook now, and I'm... My life is actually quite happy without those people in it. So sleeping better at night. Yep. Goodbye to the trolls. Uh, yep. Now we talk about money, and I thought I just read this this afternoon, actually. So how fitting. Um, the the Manitoba Métis Federation is complaining because the Manitoba province of Manitoba just came out with their new provincial budget, and they're totally left out. Uh, According to the MMF, there is no funding set aside for uh, the Manitoba Métis Federation, and they're really upset. And uh, I had a couple. What, what are your thoughts on that, Jay? I'll let you go first this time. Well, actually, I I did chuckle about that, but at the, at the same time, I think this is what we'll see uh, happen a little bit more and more, because partially because of the Daniels case ruling, I feel because they they ruled that. Métis people are federal responsibility that whatever needs the Métis people have should come out of federal coffers, not provincial coffers. 
And so it will be really interesting uh, to see how this impacts uh, the, the boys in Manitoba because so much of that uh, federal money now is going to have to get eaten up in, in what they probably were hoping was a provincial budget. And they were, so their surplus may not be as bountiful as they had hoped. Um, so and it'll also be interesting to see. I don't know what kind of redress they're going to be able to have with the provincial government because it's a provincial budget. Well, absolutely. And, uh, you know, we were talking last time when we were talking about the budget, how we were kind of speculating, is this going to be, you know, we give you money here, but we actually are going to take it away here. How is that going to work? Is it actually a gain? And, and apparently, and I'm, I guess I'm a, you know, going to put my conspiracy hat on again. Is this a, kind of a concerted effort by governments to amalgamate funding into the federal level where, like you said, the Daniels case says it's supposed to be? So the province is like it's a good deal for them. They get to shirk some some money off, and um, so yeah, it seems like it's they're taking away from here. But uh, yeah, we're gonna give you more, but we're gonna take away some here. So you're really not gaining anything. That was kind of my first thought. Um, and then you know my other thought on this was it it kind of is the, the one of the best examples of how fragile this government funding is, this government funding, non-profit funding model that these Métis Nation governments run, operate on. They're not operating on a stable, you know, income basis for a government. They're operating on a non-profit funding level, and this is a great example of how fragile it is. They were expecting money in the budget. It ain't there. So are cutbacks coming now in the Manitoba Métis Federation? I don't know. Well, I think that's what we talked about in the last episode, and it doesn't really matter if you're a nonprofit or you're a corporation, is that if you're, you know, you and I both know that if you have a business and that business is dependent entirely on one customer, what happens if that customer doesn't call you anymore? Exactly. Well, you don't got any bloody money. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's exact, exactly where the, the whole MNC structure finds itself precariously perched and it doesn't matter whether it happens today tomorrow whether it's provincial or federal whether the liberals get into the conservatives we know that sooner or later there's going to be cutbacks and restrictions on the coffers that go into to the mna and the mnc and so how effective are they yeah they're nothing it really just shows that it doesn't matter what they call themselves or what constitution they wish to draft the minute the government doesn't fund them they're up the creek Absolutely. And yeah. so what kind of a government is that? Well, and and where's all these negotiating powers? Where's, uh, you know, you have the prime minister calling you personally in your bedroom nightstand table phone, and uh, where's all this power that you couldn't negotiate a provincial budget? Like, were you not involved ahead of time? Like, did you not know the budget was coming and made some phone calls to exert your massive influence on the government of Manitoba? Um, and those are some questions, serious questions. I mean, I'm, I'm kind of being a little sarcastic, but the truth is, is these guys brag about how powerful they are and how much negotiating strength they have with government at all levels. And then the government come, in one province comes out with, and totally denies them in a budget. Well, you it, it has been a long-held belief of mine that these guys absolutely are the most terrible negotiators in the world. And all they do is walk into a room with the government, and the government says, we're going to, we want to give you some money. How much do you want? And they say, 
we'll g- we want a billion. The government says, okay, we'll give you half a million or half a, half a billion. And they go, okay, sounds good. That's kind of not really negotiating. <laughs> you know, like. Well, and it's, it's like so, you said, if you want to, you know, if, I have a little bit of a tin, tin hat moment here, you know, where the, is that I truly do believe that, that this is going to be a shift. So unless the, the Manitoba government recants, and decides, oh boy, that was an oversight on our part. Sorry about that, fellas. We'll find you some money. <laughs> I, I truly think that you're probably going to watch most of the provincial governments go this way and say, well, we're sorry about that. We don't have your money. The federal government has your money. Absolutely. And like, let's take things to Alberta here. Um, right now, the majority of their funding comes from the provincial coffers, not the federal. So if the federal starts kicking in money then, yeah, I can definitely see the provincial government of Alberta going, you know, if we cut out that $5 million given to the M&A, we can go and give that to somewhere else and, you know, get us a few more votes. So, and they're doing good with federal money. And there's the Daniels case. We're good to go. And I think, I agree with you. I think as soon as I read it, I thought, yep, this is this is the shift. This is what you're going to see now because they're a... The federal government's fiduciary responsibility, not the provincial government's. So, well, it does. And if this doesn't get recanted, if they don't, you know, go, oh, our bad, here's your money. Um, I think it does set a very dangerous precedent, and I think it's going to really show what these organizations truly have for, for like you said, for power. Yeah, and I think it's going to be pretty slim. Absolutely. Um, I I, uh, I I can see definitely see some of the more cash-strapped provinces like Saskatchewan. Well, even in Alberta, we're up to debt in our, to our eyeballs. But, you know, I can see some of these other provinces, especially Saskatchewan, um, really just saying, you know, yeah, we're not, uh, we're going to go with these guys and not give you any money out of our provincial money. You're That's federal. And uh, I, well, I think it's going to... What gonna... provincial government isn't going to want to kill that line item off their budget? Well, exactly. And, and then... It's never ever coming back. It, I don't. Once it's gone, they're gonna forever just go. Hey, you guys are fiduciary responsibility of the federal government. Sorry, and you'll have yep. no recourse because that's what the Supreme Court said. So mm-hmm. you can sue. You're gonna lose. Um, and yeah. Well, and, and how does a corporation sue the federal government on a budget item? Exactly. You know what I mean? Like, get real. We're here begging for money and you didn't give us enough, damn you. Yeah, we're going to sue you because you cut our funding. Okay, good luck with that. <laughs> That'll go well. Yeah, absolutely. So, so yeah, that was interesting. And then, uh, you know, that kind of leads it, into where we're going with these organizations like the MNC. And I know you had a lot to say about that today, so I don't know if you... Well, it's not a lot to... online, and I, I think the reality for me is that this whole episode with the Métis, uh, Manitoba Métis Federation, exemplifies that fact. That this, you know, and it, it compounds right where we started off with in this conversation this evening, is I don't understand Métis people. I don't understand the devotion. I don't understand why anybody would support these people. And then you look at uh, the conversations that are going on online with, uh, you know, people with the, in the AFN, how they're they're very concerned about the, the rate that organization's going. 
because of the money or is the MNA now and the MNC really just a, a government paid mechanism for duty to consult? You don't know, you know, we're not going to have a say. So for the next pipeline that goes in, you know, the MNC will sign off on it. Bob's your uncle and boom, there you go. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I mean, especially with the MNC, uh, they are, you know, I agree with you. They're becoming the AFN for Métis people. Absolutely. I mean, um, who do they govern over? I don't know. What pro- what services and, and programs do they provide to anybody? I, I really don't know, um, other than to be a, a, a higher authority. Um, but, yeah, I can see them totally being an AFN, and they're very happy to play that role because they'll get millions of dollars in funding, pay some wages, travel the country, travel the world, and... Easy lifestyle, man. It's uh, you know second best gig, like next to being a senator or something. Um, well, and and it really, I mean, at some point, Métis people have to understand that they're directly responsible. Then it's the next pipeline that the one of these organizations signs off on. That's Métis people's fault. Yes, they're responsible, and it's it's no wonder people like Christy Belcourt have pulled out of the MNO is because they want no part of that. And I wonder how long till more and more Métis people wake up and realize they're responsible for this mess and they're responsible for making it happen. Yeah, absolutely. I know. Uh, I know. Christie's had a long uh, part of the reason I think she pulled out was because the uh, MNO was signing deals for nuclear waste disposal that she disagreed with. And I mean, you know, we're not we're not just talking pipelines. These guys are going to start get out there and start signing deals left, right, and center, and the government is going to be able to say, hey, we consulted with Métis people. We did our due diligence, and every court in the country will uphold that. Absolutely. And uh, Exactly. So you're going to have Clem in a meeting with whatever prime minister of the day it is. Their funding is going to be dependent on, on saying yes, and that's going to be it. Yes. And so it doesn't matter what happens in your community, what resource deal or nuclear deal is going to be, what pipeline goes through, or oil sands expansion goes on, you're out in the cold because you took out membership to support those organizations. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And and the, the worst part is is uh, people don't even realize they don't really get to vote on the MNC and who's on that board. It's the, you know, the presidents of each province. So it's, that's not a democratic situation. Um, and so you really have no redress. There's no way to... Like what? How do you get rid of the the MNC president if he's he or she is not doing their job properly? I don't know if you can get him out. Um, and and so, you know, I I know people that have hated the AFN for de- for years. For years they've hated him. Um, there was a news story that just came out that the AFN was uh, supported the government of Canada spying on Indigenous uh, protesters during, you know, like Idle No More and things like that, the AFN supported that. What do you think the MNC is going to do? They're going to support that stuff too. Because the person that pays them is not the protester, the Métis protester standing on the line. The person that's paying them is the person with all the rifles and snipers on the other side of that fence. And uh, it's not setting a good precedent. And I'm not sure why people aren't seeing that and being more critical of that. But, yeah, I agree with you. It's, it's a dangerous slope we're on now. Well, and, and the fact for me that, that I just can't wrap my head around is we have people 
of prominence, people of influence, people who are on the ground, who have been in this a long time, people like Christy Belcourt and their dad, who have been, you know, Tony, who have been very vocal about how they're discontented with the way these organization has gone, the the resource deals they've seen. We've heard we've heard from from chiefs like Isidore Day come out and be super critical of these these deals being signed with no consultation with First Nation communities in relation to those those deals. And yet we have this absolute blind support because of what? Government money? Yeah. That we may or may not ever see at a community level. Absolutely. Yeah. Like, um, you know, I was talking to my wife and I was asking her about what she's heard about this government money and how the funding works. And, you know, we've both heard estimates that INAC itself takes 40 to 80% of the funding that they promise. So that $500 million for housing, no, you're not getting $500 million. You're getting about 20% of that, maybe. So it's never going to be down to the community level. And, uh, but but this is this blind faith. Well, these organizations are the nation. They are, it's not the people, it's these organizations. And that's, that's the part that drives me crazy is, um, if everybody moved out of Canada, Canada would kind of not really be much of a country anymore. Well, Métis people need to understand they are the nation, not the MNC, the MNA, the MMF, the Métis National Council in Saskatchewan or BC. It's the people. So, you know, you, you can't take that away um, because these groups say you're not part of that group. So yeah, I don't know. It's it's just a sad slope to go down, and I don't know why we're not listening to, like you said, to people like Christy Belcor. Well, and following her example, like I don't know why more people are not realizing the the tragedy and the horror that is is quickly going to be coming at us in the the loss of accountability, and and rising up and saying we need to start supporting new leadership and a new way forward because true government is not made of a single party and we want to have a change. Yes. But until that happens, I don't know. I think the reality is we're going to watch this budget come. It'll go. Very little will happen. And before we know it, the liberals will be out. The orange guys will be in or the other, most likely the blue guys will be in. And I guarantee you they're going to, whatever budget there was, they're going to kill it. Yeah, absolutely. And, and then where are you left? You didn't get anything yep. when the liberals were in, and you didn't. You now you're not going to get anything for sure. So, yeah, it's the roller coaster ride of government funding. That's right, and it really goes to show that a Métis, until us Métis people are really serious about self governance, we're going to have to take those plastic cards, cut them up, and we're going to have to do something different. Yeah, for sure, you know, and and that's the thing is, um, you know. The, the M&A is doing a big constitution drive, going to communities, talking to people about, well, what does self-governance look like? And we need to do that. And those are great words. But at the end of the day, you're you're just an offshoot of the government of Alberta and the government of Canada. Yeah, because you and I both know, I mean, let's be honest. There is no legal framework within the constitution of Canada to recognize another independent sovereign nation within Canada. No. So what in the world would a constitution enable you to do? It'll enable you to become a corporation. And why would you want to become a corporation? Because in all the accountability, all the legalities that pigeonhole organizations under the, the Act, the Societies Act, 
are off. Yes. When you have a corporation, there's no limit on the boards you can have, the councils, the the subcommittees, the amount of salaries, the amount of holdings, the amount of profit you're allowed to turn. And that's all this is about. Absolutely. Yeah, it's uh it's been a sad sad week I think for a lot of things in the Métis world. Um you know, I, I would I wish we had more great news to tell everybody, but unfortunately life is just not flowers and unicorns. Um, but I really, truly hope that this uh, Indigenous artist sticks to his guns. And even without this award, I hope he has nothing but huge success. And I, I really hope that the people that maybe aren't Métis or maybe on the fringes of Métis identity and understanding what's going on in the Métis world, you know, I'd really like uh, them to maybe listen to the podcast and, and just start to understand how colonial the concept is, is that you're denying somebody the right to their grandmothers. Um, so if you want, if you're talking about decolonizing, if you're talking about rebuilding your nation, why can't Acadian Métis do that? Why can't East Coast Métis do that? Um, why you know, can't we do that in Alberta without the segregation? Exactly, exactly. Why, why, why can't we do that on our own? Why can't we do that? And uh, so let's let's apply decolonization across the board to everybody. And if you if you want to know about Métis identity, um, start asking other people outside of the Métis National Council, and start asking people um, in other groups and things like that, and, and expand your your horizons. Because um, following the words of a guy with a PhD who doesn't even identify as Métis and why he's even allowed to talk about Métis identity, I have no concept of. But listening to that kind of person, it's the wrong way to go. Just wrong. <clears throat> well, then we need, we need people to stand up. We need people to have those cards and don't have those cards to get active and put their voices where it's going to matter because otherwise things are never going to change. No, they're not. No. So yeah, uh, that's all. I mean, that's really all I got to say about these things. Um, I really hope that he has nothing but success, and I I hope people um, I educate themselves and maybe become a little more aware of of East Coast history and East Coast Métis identity and things like that. So that's always my hope. <laughs> I can always Thank have you. hope, I guess. That's it. That's why we keep doing what we do. That's right, and it's this is partly my therapy. So yeah, you guys have to listen. <laughs> it's either this or I go on a rant on Facebook and nobody wants that so be, be burning through keyboards uh, any, anything else Jason yeah. any last thoughts or final thoughts for the for the show no not so much I think I've ranted on quite enough for one evening absolutely yes uh, I don't even have an event or anything coming up that I, I, I did not do very good prep for the show so I'm, I apologize but uh, I did post a thing on Facebook to ask people for their events, specifically here in Alberta, because then I can drive to them, hopefully. Um, and if, if for anybody that's organizing an event, can you stop doing it on a freaking weekday during work hours? Please. Weekends and evenings. Yeah, no kidding, eh? It's really not that hard. Um, for us poor schmucks that actually got jobs, it's, it's pretty tough to make it there. Right? So anyway, I would like to get out and bring the show to some of these events and, and get out there, but uh, I work. And I can't always get out there. So, But if you go to Facebook, you go on our page, you find the post, and you can post uh, you know, your community's events or something that's coming up this summer, uh, let me know, and I'll try to do what I can to get out there. And uh, 
Other than that, I think for both Jason and I, I hope everybody has a great next week. And now go be a good ancestor. The jig is up. You are the spark that's starting a fire that will spread across this land. And it will be a fire that doesn't burn, but a fire that cleanses. A fire that ignites in our hearts and creates light. No more living in darkness. Our time now.